Schroeder pulls it back, throws, has Juju Smith-Schuster. What a start to the night. One play, bang, touchdown Steelers. And the Bears have it. It's a fumble and a takeaway. Eddie Jackson going the other way for the Chicago touchdown. Balls Don't Lie podcast. Let's go. Welcome to Balls Don't Lie. I am your host, A-N-T-O-N, Anton. Today we have a special show. You always hear us talk about Bears. We always talk about the Steelers. We talk NFL talk, occasionally talk Laker talk, and we always give you the top fives. But there's other things we like to talk about. We have other sports teams that we follow. In particular, regular Steven, he talks Kentucky football, Kentucky basketball. He loves the Chicago Cubs. So today will be the first time you hear the regular Steven show. Like always, please follow us on Balls Don't Lie Pod, Balls with a Z. Like, share, subscribe, leave comments anywhere that you listen to podcasts. And with all that said, let's start the show. Regular Steven, take us away, please. Welcome, everybody, to this regular episode of Balls Don't Lie. Uh, it's just me, regular Steven here, all by my lonesome. Uh, so I'll be the captain of this uh, this ship here today. Um, so, yeah, let's get to uh, Kentucky basketball. You know, we touched in the earlier part of the season uh, a little bit, uh, kind of inadvertently, about how Duke had uh, uh, murdered Kentucky. And Kentucky coming into the season had – all the expectations, if not more, um, than Duke did. Um, you know, we had the preseason trip to the Bahamas um, that every school gets to do every three years. Um, it's like a little summer trip that the teams and they go, they get to play games versus whatever local team. So we go down to the Bahamas. Um, we play some uh, professional teams and semi-professional teams from Europe. I believe one was from South America, uh, maybe a Canadian one. I, I'm not sure. Um, all the locations, but they were professional players. Anyways, the, uh, you know, Kentucky comes out, some new pieces. Um, you know, one of the big things this year was we had three guys returning from last year um, as sophomores, and that was, that was uh, something that everybody was just really excited about because usually with Kentucky, you don't necessarily have that many. And on top of the three sophomores that we had coming back, um, we also had a graduate transfer, Reed Travis, who was a uh, three-time all-conference player and a conference player of the year. Uh, in the Pac-12 at Stanford. Um, so now you're looking at a fifth-year guy um, with three sophomores and the second-ranked recruiting class coming in. Um, some guys in that recruiting class, uh, you know, Keldon Johnson was a top-15 recruit. Uh, E.J. Montgomery, uh, the forward, was a top-15 uh, recruit. Um, both McDonald's All-Americans. You had Ashton Haggins, who reclassified from the 2019 class to 2018. He was a top-25 recruit. Uh, Tyler Hero, um, shooting guard out of Wisconsin, uh, was a top 35 recruit. Um, so, you know, you're looking at a lot of these guys they have coming in. Um, also, Emmanuel Quickly, uh, point guard, was a top 25 recruit. Um, so a lot of talent coming in with, uh, you know, unusual amount of uh, veteran, I guess you could call them, uh, Kentucky, if you're a sophomore, you're pretty much a veteran because um, most of the freshmen play. Uh, so, you know, you bring all those guys back, they do their business in the Bahamas, they go undefeated um, in pretty impressive fashion. 
So you got a lot of hype coming this season. First game of the year that gets us to Duke. Duke with the number one recruiting class coming in was Zion Williamson, R.J. Barrett, and we've touched on those guys. Um, they've had a pretty electric start to the season, and they come in first game of the year in Indianapolis, and they smoke Kentucky. And from there on, it just felt like it took Kentucky probably about 10 games, really, to uh, kind of look confident and just look like they had some some swagger about them, which they, they had in the Bahamas. Um, we also had uh, three weeks, two, two, three weeks ago, Quadi Green, uh, sophomore shooting guard, uh, decided to transfer. Uh, seemed like it was a little bit about playing time. Um, but anyways, that almost helped the rotation. It shortened down the rotation. You had less guards playing. Um, Ashton Haggins has stepped into the point guard role, and they've kind of really taken off from there. Um, never to say that, you know, losing a guy is not going to be, you know, always looked at as a positive, but, you know, it, it seems like it's, uh, you know, Quaddy's going to a better situation. He actually is uh, transferring to Washington. Um, he's going to play out there. So it seems like he's probably going to a better fit for him. And um, in turn, that kind of helps uh, Kentucky as well, because if you have anybody that's unhappy, um, even if, you know, matter, no matter how good of a kid he is, and by all accounts, um, he wasn't, you know, intentionally a team cancer, but it, I think, you know, those guys talk, and I think, you know, you, there's probably – it can become si- somewhat of a distraction if even on a subconscious level just, just by his attitude and maybe how that affects him and games and stuff like that. Um, but since that happened, they've taken off and, you know, had a nice win against North Carolina. Um, pretty much had that game in hand from start to finish. Um, definitely could have been a bigger win, could have been a smaller win. I, you know, it was – you know, kind of, but the emergence of Ashton Haggins in that game uh, was one of the things that really stuck out to me, or stood out to me. Um, he he had eight steals, um, which you know tied uh, tied a Kentucky record. Um, I think it was held with uh, Rajon Rondo was one of them, and I believe Wayne Turner was the other one. Uh, both really good point guards in their time at Kentucky, um, so that was pretty cool for him to do. And then uh, we took on Louisville and uh, pretty much dominated that game. Uh, pretty much had it in hand. He had a, Ashton Hagen's had another good game, um, but you're really just kind of starting to see where uh, you know let them gel a little bit, let them kind of figure out the rotation. Um, not all these players are created equal, and it doesn't. They don't all just come in and dominate. Um, you know, Kentucky's had some of those guys. You know, we've had quite a few of them where they just came in and dominated. You know, your John Wall, Anthony Davis, those guys kind of came in and. Um, just kind of hit the ground running. Your Julius Randles, um, guys like that. But even a guy like Carl uh, Carl Anthony Towns, uh, he ended up being number one draft pick. And for the first part of the year, I mean, he just wasn't that player. Um, but he kind of hit his stride in January, then February, and really definitely into the tournament time in March and April. Um, so some of these guys, even though their ceiling may be high, some of them don't. They just don't get to it as fast. Some of them come in, and it's like they damn near hit their ceiling. And that's where you're seeing like a Zion Williamson, an R.J. Barrett. Um, and not, not their ceiling for their whole career, but just in terms of what they could be, um, you know, as you project them to like at the end of their freshman season. You know, we've seen a lot of these guys come in to Kentucky now um, and, and just develop at different rates. And because we've had so many of them, you can kind of start to get better at gauging them um, as the season starts. You know, when you first see them, it's usually in the, like a McDonald's All-American game or, you know, any of those Jordan brand classic, you know, those kind of things. 
um, which is, you know, the, there's some defense in those, but for the most part, it's just kind of an up and down game. And uh, guys are just, you know, kind of trying not to get hurt and just having fun and putting on a show. So it's kind of hard to get a read on what these guys are, but you start seeing them against college level talent now. And you can, you know, you just, you get a better read. Um, you know, like a guy like Kevin Knox uh, last year on Kentucky ended up being a, a uh, top, uh, top 10 pick. And, but there were times in the first part of the year and even later in the season that you just, he made you want to tear your hair out. You know, it was just, we've had a number of those guys. Um, but at some point it seems like, you know, the guys that are going to get it, it's usually at least by the end of their freshman season where it just kind of clicks. And the guys where uh, it doesn't um, or it doesn't consistently enough to get enough uh, attention or, or, you know, thought of highly enough to be, uh, you know, a first-round draft pick to where they leave and they end up coming back for their, their sophomore season, um, you usually see some of those guys, it ends up taking them a long time anyways. Because um, if they don't hit it, they're just probably not one of those guys. Those guys that are going to the NBA, the one-and-dones, some of these guys, um, certainly there's obviously players that can develop over four years and obviously get drafted as a senior and stuff like that. But I'm talking about the real elite-level guys. Um, a lot of them are one-and-done or, or two-and-done type players. Um, so when you see those guys and you see how they develop, you, it, you know it's just pretty easy to start tracking it. And I think we have some of those type of guys getting it back to this season's team where I think you're starting to see Tyler Hero get more comfortable. Keldon Johnson has been comfortable. He's just kind of that um, real grinded out, tough dude. He's just going to play hard every every possession. Um, you know, and then, you know, Reed Travis has kind of been as advertised. He's been that solid big guy on the block. But you kind of knew what you were getting with him because you'd seen him for four years in college already. Uh, some of these other guys, we're not going to see what they're capable of until maybe February or March. You just never know. Um, but they're at least starting to play well enough as a team and play well enough on the defensive end to win some good games, win, win games against good teams. Um, the, the downside from the Duke game, aside from just, I mean, it was pretty embarrassing. You get blown out like that and you have all these expectations coming into the year. You're on most people's preseason ballots. You're a top two or three team. Um, and to come out and get beat like that. But... Then you get some time, you know, it, it's, it's going to start to come together. It's going to start to come together, and you're already seeing it. The schedule got easy after that. So even though Kentucky was winning games, um, you know, they, they weren't against anybody that they shouldn't, you know, they should have won all the games that they were playing, and they should have won them convincingly, and some of them they weren't even doing that. You know, when you play these smaller schools, you're supposed to be beating teams by 25 or 30 especially when you're supposed to be a top five team in the country. But when you're coming out here and you're struggling, it's taken some of these small schools that took them. I don't remember exactly who it was, but it was some team they should have beaten by 20 at least. It was, it was a, a close game with down to the last eight minutes uh, to go in the second half. So you're just – that's not what you're, you know, looking to see. And it really just their confidence. They just seem like they oh, – man, that Duke game just really – I think took it out of them for a while, so now they can start feeling good about themselves. One of the things I one of the things I do want to say, and I hate to say this, but when we did our top five most hated, um, there is one portion of my own fan base that would at least make honorable mention, 
Um, and it's the very small portion of the Kentucky fan base who, after one loss or two losses, they're ready for the coach to be fired. There is not a coach in Kentucky's rich basketball history who has a higher winning percentage than John Calipari. He's won a national championship. We've been to four Final Fours. And this is in 10 years. We've been to the Elite Eight, Sweet 16. I don't know what people want. We have the most draft picks of any school, the most first-round draft picks of any school. You're getting the best of both worlds. Is it frustrating that sometimes it takes a while for the teams to develop? Yes, absolutely. There's a lot of times when it doesn't look like a good product. And you have the second highest paid coach in basketball. And I can see how that can rub people the wrong way. But every single year, even when it's gotten off to a rough start, it always comes back around. It always turns out that come tournament time, they will be playing good enough basketball to do some damage in the tournament. And we've seen that every single year. And still these fans start losing their minds. And now that we're winning some games, they're all quiet. I get a lot of my Kentucky information from uh, a website called KentuckySportsRadio.com. I've gone on there for years and years. It started off as a very simple blog. Then they started a radio show. Now it's uh, one of the most popular and downloaded podcasts. Um, I hope that you know we can get to something like that. Their credibility has gotten to where when they have radio shows, which is every day, they, you know, they have guys like Jay Billis, Doug Vit- uh, Dick Vitale, uh, you know, Doug Gottlieb. All these people come on and host the show. This is a site that runs a story a day or, or one for one hour for people who are awake. It's from like 8 in the morning to 10 o'clock at night. Every hour there's a new story. And you can go on these stories and look at the comment section. You just register. You have people on there that change their names three times because they just say the most outrageous things. It would make you lose your faith in humanity to read some of these. And it's not just Kentucky ones. It's every one of them. You go to these comment boards and these people absolutely lose their fucking minds. (laughs) It's absolutely amazing. And, you know, you read these and it's just like it made some of the stuff I was seeing because they're the most vocal. They're going to be the ones on Twitter that's tweeting everybody uh, talking crazy things, saying crazy things. It's absolutely just wanting a coach fired. You can't even argue against it because it's just so dumb. You don't really need to. Um, But it it blows your mind, the stupidity. Cal Perry calls them out. Um, He has some fun with them. Uh, He knows that we have the best fan base in college basketball. But there's also that fringe percentage uh, that just absolutely needs to shut up. Someone needs to take their phones, get them out. They're just not responsible enough to, uh, you know, (laughs) be commenting on anything that anyone can read. So I I just wish that part of the fan base would go away. They would make my honorable mention for most hated. So I think that's my wrap up on Kentucky for now. Uh, we got some conference plays starting up. We got uh, Alabama on Saturday, and we'll see where it goes. Uh, pretty top-heavy in the SEC. You got Tennessee, Auburn, Mississippi State, and Kentucky all looking like they could all do some damage. 
Um, I think it'll be Kentucky or Tennessee that wins the SEC. So we'll see how that goes. Um, but it should be a fun season. I think by the end of the year, we'll, uh, you know, be looking pretty good. I, I think we'll be able to touch on it. I'll probably start doing some more of these shows by myself, um, you know, to go throughout the year, especially with basketball. Um, and so we'll, we'll touch on it some more and we'll kind of see how they round into shape. Um, but yeah, I'm looking at a, you know, 13, 14 win SEC season. I feel like, um, you know, it's always tough to go on the road. Um, but I think they can play themselves into like a two or three seed, um, have a really good season. You're still looking at a one seed possibility. Um, they just got to kind of get there. So, um, but that'll do it for Kentucky. Um, when we come back after the break, we're going to touch on the Chicago Cubs. Um, what have they been doing in the offseason? And, you know, almost more importantly, what haven't they been doing? Uh, we'll get to that, and I'll let you know what it is after the break. Welcome back to this regular episode of Balls Don't Lie. Uh, I told you before the break, we're going to talk about the Chicago Cubs and kind of what they've been doing, uh, the winter meetings concluding and kind of getting into uh, free agency here and kind of seeing what they're doing. Uh, I'll tell you what they're not doing, and that is spending money yet. They're not spending money yet. I think we're hearing that, uh, you know, they could be a secret team for Bryce Harper. Right now, it really doesn't make sense with the payroll that they have and everything that everyone's saying is that they're too strapped on payroll to go get anybody huge in free agency. Fine. They got a lot of money coming up. Some of these guys now, your Chris Bryant, Rizzo, Baez, uh, Contreras, some of these guys, they're starting to come up on where they're going to start getting expensive. They're going to have to start making some decisions. But right now, the payroll flexibility is just not there. So for me, if I'm hearing that they could be a surprise team for Harper, I'm thinking they're. that's got to mean a couple things. One, they just don't care, and they're just going to go you know, flying over that luxury tax. They have the money. It's just they'd have to pay. Um, the other thing is I'm wondering if they're starting to look and thinking they're going to move some people. Um, there were you know things about Bryant turning down a contract extension a while back. Um, that was actually years ago. It made no sense for him to sign it. One of the things I think would be interesting, and I'm not saying they necessarily should do it, but one of the things I would I think would be interesting would be to looking into trading one of the pieces, and, and I think the one you get the most back for would be a Chris Bryant. Um, I think if you could trade that guy and get someone for this year's team that could contribute right away and also maybe get a couple pieces – uh, like prospects that you, you know, maybe a couple years, one or two years, um, they start developing. Because the Cubs, in building this roster now, is so major league heavy. They had to deplete the farm system uh, through trades to, to bring people in to try to, you know, build this thing and make sure they're, you know, like the when they traded for Araldis Chapman the year they won the World Series, well, they gave up Gleyber Torres, who was all-star uh, infielder for the Yankees this past year as a rookie. So that was one of the people they had to give up. You know, these are all guys, some of the guys they've traded out of their system are all looking t- that they're going to be major league contributors here in the next year or two. And they're all guys that we could have had coming up, but we didn't need them. We already have a young team, a stacked team. Um, but you are going to have to see some of these guys leaving because you're just not going to be able to afford to pay all of them. That's just how this works. 
eventually some of them got to go and you got to replenish and you got to just, you know, you build it through free agency with veterans and stuff like that. Um, but it is interesting. And one of the things, you know, I think to take a look at it, I'm just wondering maybe they're either looking to move or maybe they are actually just happy with what the roster is or they just have accepted that it is what it is and maybe they're not going to spend any money. You know, these are all things that that turned very quickly. Last year, the Cubs were kind of out of the U Darvish stakes early, um, and then they got back in it aggressively late um, and were able to sign him. So if you're looking at that one going, well, looks like the Cubs aren't making any moves, and then they go out and spend, you know, tons of money, tons of money on U Darvish. Um, we'll see if that ends up paying dividends. It certainly didn't last year. He didn't pitch most of the season. Um, hopefully, you know, coming off the Tommy John, he'll be good to go. Um, I think it was Tommy John. It was some some sort of arm surgery. I guess don't quote me on that. But, um, but anyways, so you, you'll start to see, I mean, I guess we'll just find out. I mean, it's looking like Bryce Harper could, uh, you know, take as long as he wants. And it sounds like Machado's waiting until he's done. You know, they're kind of saying both these guys might go mid-January or late January. Um, before they sign anywhere, you know, just to hold out and see if they're going to get that money. I don't think Bryce Harper's going to get the money that they're looking for. I think they said they're looking for like four hundred million for ten years or something like that. And I just, I just don't see how a team, unless he's willing to go play for a team that isn't necessarily in a position to win right away, because any of the contenders that you're looking at, whether it's Boston, Yankees, Cubs, Astros. They don't have the money to to give Harper that. So, you know, you're looking at, you know, it sounds like right now, I guess the Dodgers would be one. Um, I guess they are in a position to win right now. They've been in the last two World Series. Um, but like another one, uh, one of the other major ones is the, the White Sox, and they're definitely not in a position to win right now. Um, and you have to argue how would they be once they sign him. You know, the White Sox aren't necessarily a team that spend a ton of money. Um, and they don't seem like they're a Bryce Harper away from being a contender. Um, so, you know, I guess we'll see see where he goes. But, you know, if he does come to the Cubs, maybe maybe a Chris Bryant or somebody like that ends up going. I mean, you kind of take the bat with the bat. You have, you know, I don't know. It would be interesting. I'm not sure I want them to do that. I, I prefer maybe they don't sign Harper. I definitely don't like committing money that long for – uh, any player, whether he's in his you know 20s still or not, I just don't think on the back end of a 10-year contract you ever get the return um, for what they're getting paid. And you say, well, okay, well, you're paying them for the first six years. You just got to sign them up for 10 so you can get the first six. Yeah, but then when the first six are over, <laughs> you, still, you still have to pay them for the next four years. So do you get yourself into that situation? That's what's going on with Anaheim and Pujols. You know, they had some years there where Pujols was still pretty good, but now they're on the back end of that long contract and he's just not worth the money that he's getting. Uh, Still a solid player. I mean, you know, veteran guy, probably good to have in the clubhouse and everything, but you don't pay the kind of money he's getting for a good guy in the clubhouse and to have him be good every once in a while. So, you, you know, you can see how that can strap you later down the road. You just have to decide whether it's worth it or not to try to get those first six years. But when you're a team like the Cubs and you're already there, um, it seems like more minor tweaks would be necessary, you know, adding some depth to the bullpen, um, 
you know, they could certainly use another another starter top end of the rotation guy. Um, you know, you got Lester getting older and certain guys just not kind of hitting what you would want them to be. Like a Kyle Hendricks, I thought last year, um, last couple seasons really hasn't necessarily been what I thought he would be by now. Um, you know, with a guy like Cole Hamels, you have him back, but we'll see if he can do for a whole year what he did the last second half of last year. I mean, you know, once you start going through the division a bunch of times and guys see him more and more, it's it becomes tougher, uh, you know. Uh, and, and then the big thing, they got to get Darvish. And I guess maybe you can think of it as if they can get a healthy U Darvish, that's almost like a free agency signing in itself because they didn't get very many starts from him last year. And the ones that they did, he wasn't good. I mean, it just it just wasn't good. So that was just a major disappointment. I guess if they can just get him to be good, not even great, but just good, um, maybe you kind of trick yourself into thinking that's a free agency signing as well and just think of it in terms of that. Um, but you know, it's, uh, you know, it'll be interesting. I'm, I'm seeing all the teams in the division. Um, the Reds are making some trades, trying to get more competitive. Cardinals have signed a couple guys. They signed Paul Goldschmidt, um, all-star first baseman from the Diamondbacks. Uh, they signed him and then they signed a lefty reliever, Andrew Miller, um, who when healthy is one of the best relievers in baseball. Um, you know, and I, I haven't seen anything that the Brewers are doing, but, Again, when you're in first place in the division, it's just minor tweaks. It's not going to be – you're not a team that needs to go make a big splash, which is kind of where the Cubs are. Um, I know the fan base seems to be getting a little bit rec- uh, restless. Um, last year was certainly disappointing the way it ended. You know, on the last game of the season, uh, needing – or, or uh, you know, losing the division and then the very next day um, losing the wild card game. <laughs> it was certainly unfortunate. Um but they still won 95 games last year or 94 games. So, you know, it's, it's my most accounts or most standards. That's a really good season. It just really was sour how it ended. Um, but I think just a couple tweaks here and there, I'd like to see more Albert Elmore Jr. Um, I'd love to see Jason Hayward get traded just because of his contract. It's one of the worst contracts in baseball, one of the worst contracts in sports. Um, great glove guy, but Man, you just really get nothing from the at the plate. Um, you can find guys that not necessarily Gold Glove guys, but you know guys that can get you halfway there and give you something with the bat. He just gives you nothing. Just gives you nothing. He's a likable guy, um, but just doesn't give you much. So uh, we'll see what the Cubs do. Uh, they've kind of retooled their uh, coaching staff. They got uh, uh, Mike Lowell, uh, a player I remember watching when I was a kid. He's the new uh, bench coach. Um, they've made some other changes as well. So we'll see. We'll see. They've changed hitting coaches for like the third time in a row, third season in a row. Because um, at some point, it's got to not be the hitting coach. It's got to be the players. <laughs> you can change hitting coaches all you want, but at some point they have to go do it. Um, but so there's, you know, they're doing small things like that, I think, to kind of revamp it and get the most out of the guys they got, which could be a good plan. And we'll, we'll find out next season. Um any big changes come, or if we see a Bryce Harper signing, I'll definitely sign back on and uh, give my give my thoughts on that. And that would mean someone's probably moving, so we'd have other updates there. But um, it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting. I'm really hoping the Cubs can kind of be one of those dominant teams again. That was a lot of fun when they uh, had the World Series season and they were just kind of dominant from start to finish. It's, it's a lot more fun to watch, even though they've had 90-plus win seasons. It just hasn't been – 
you never really felt like they were one of those teams that had a chance to uh, win it, you know, the last two seasons. They were good. You knew they were good, but anything can happen once you get to the playoffs. But um, you just – there was no mistaking that they weren't one of the elite teams. And and usually those elite teams went out and win the World Series. So you kind of got to be one of those um, or you just got to get real hot. But So, yeah, we'll see, uh, we'll see how that goes. Um, hopefully we get some news coming soon. I'm definitely itching to uh, – hear something or at least see where Harper signs so I can, you know, stop hearing about it. But, um, yeah, so we'll touch back on the Cubs in a little while. But uh, probably take a break here. Um, Coming up after the break, we'll uh, talk a little bit about college football. Uh, We had the semifinals, um, and my uh, Kentucky Wildcats did something that they've never done in my life. And I'll tell you what that is after the break. Welcome back to this regular episode of Balls Don't Lie. Um, told you before the break, we'll come back and talk some college football. Uh, I'd like to start with my Kentucky Wildcats. They won the Citrus Bowl against Penn State, uh, 27-24, and that was their 10th win of the season. Now, in my lifetime, I'm 32, I had never seen... Kentucky have a football season where they even won nine games. Eight was the most wins that have ever happened in my lifetime. So this year they won nine in the regular season, and usually that eighth win was a bowl game. So they maybe won their bowl game, but they've had seven wins in the regular season. This year, nine wins in the regular season, and then they beat Penn State uh, in the Citrus Bowl to get their 10th win of the season. And I am so excited about it. It's so cool to see this program take shape. Uh, head coach Mark Stoops has had some, mostly it's it's just been a slow rise. They had some bad seasons in his first couple of years, but since then it's kind of just gone up. And even if it was up from two wins to four wins to five wins to seven wins, now it's 10 wins. It's still gone up every year, and I don't expect it to keep going up. I feel like they're almost at the peak of what Kentucky can be. Um, but they had other games this year that they lost that they definitely could have won. This could have been this could have been a 12, 12 win team, at least eleven. Um, but just really, really exciting. Uh, this team, I think you're starting to see what's been appealing to some of these recruits that they're starting to get. Um, a guy like Josh Allen, uh, All American defensive end, uh, one of the he won a bunch of awards. Uh, uh, forget what the names of them, but the linebacker of the year and all these kind of things. Um, but he came in as a two-star recruit, and he came in at like 205 pounds. Now he's 260, and he's going to be a top two pick in the draft. He set the record for most sacks in a career. Uh, and I believe he he held he set the record this season for most sacks in a season, which I think was 17, 16 or 17, uh, which is a really high number in college football. Um, remember, they only played 13 games. so And he also blocked a field goal in this game. He had three sacks against Penn State, and he blocked a field goal. So talk about a way to go out. And when you're seeing a lot of these guys that aren't playing their bowl games because they're going to be top picks, for a guy that's projected to be a top five pick to come out, play his game, 
and go dominate and help his team win. It says a lot about him. Not that it's necessarily the wrong thing to do in all situations, but you know, it says it says a lot about him. I think that he was able to, you know, come out and and uh, you know not be worried about injuries and just go out there and try to get a win for your team. Uh, do something that the program hasn't had happen since the seventies and win ten games. So that was really cool. Another guy, Benny Snell, uh, set the record all-time career rushing leader at Kentucky. Um, he only did it in three seasons. He's a junior this year, and he's going to leave for the draft, I'm assuming. Um, I think everybody's assuming that. Um, so, yeah, guys like that, just really cool, really cool for the senior group. There's a lot of good ones in there. They're going to probably have five or six guys drafted. Um, so it was really exciting. Uh, and it's always fun to beat Penn State, one of the schools I definitely don't like, uh, especially in football. But uh, So that was really cool. Um, and then you had the uh, the Final Four. Uh, college football playoff. Um, you had Alabama and Oklahoma kind of turned into a shootout. Uh, I believe the final score was 42, 42 to 34, um, Alabama. Um, it was a fun game to watch. Alabama was really tough. They're, they're really hard to stop. Um, wasn't really surprised how many points they gave up. When the game was um, still competitive, they were definitely flying around more. Once they kind of broke the lead out, I think they kind of started to back off a little bit, um, maybe just in intensity, if anything. Um, but that was a, you know, not a real good game. Again, not, wasn't really expecting one. Uh, then the other game was uh, Clemson-Notre Dame, and shocker, Clemson won that one handily. I believe final score was 31-3. to uh, So I'm not sure if the college football playoff is doing what people thought it would do. Or if it's just there's a couple programs um, in Alabama and Clemson that are kind of just uh, just head and shoulders above everybody else. I mean, you look at some of these teams, like Oklahoma's a good football team, Notre Dame's a good football team, um, but they're not even competitive with Alabama and Clemson. And this is the fourth time these teams are going to play in the college football playoff, and it just keeps ending up that way. And it's just it's obvious that they're just that much better than everybody else. And someone's either going to have to step it up and get there or something, because I think it's it's getting boring. It really, you know, as much as it, you know, I've I've been a person. I think it's kind of cool to see dynasties, um, but it's just kind of getting boring. I'm, I'm, you know, not that it's. I just I don't know I don't know I, I think they're gonna they either need to shake it up maybe go to eight teams where you can get some cool matchups, um, and, you know you still will have the blowouts I mean Alabama's gonna be whoever but I think if you get some cool matchups I think it would kind of bring a little a little more interest um, kind of get more schools involved because it's kind of just assumed now as the season's going along it's well who's gonna be the third and fourth team. You're definitely thinking who's going to be the second, third, and fourth team because you know Alabama's in there. I mean that that's kind of guaranteed at this point. They just they're in it every year. Um, so I think you know maybe they'll do some things. I know they're probably talking if they can make more money on it, they'll do it. Uh, that's kind of how college athletics and TV in general, sports in general, work. I mean they they find a way to uh, add some games, make more money, whatever, and say it's for the betterment of college football. But in this case, it might be. So I think it'd be cool to kind of see something like that. But that does set up an Alabama-Clemson uh, national championship game, which should be interesting. 
Um, you got Tua Tagovailoa, uh, Alabama quarterback, um, versus uh, Clemson and their young quarterback. I think his last name's Lawrence. I forget his first name. It might be Joey Lawrence, um, but he's a freshman. He's he looks like a sharp kid. Um, I'm guessing three years or you know two more years after this, uh, he's going to be that guy that's going to be talked about as the number one pick in the draft. Um, you can kind of see that coming, uh, but he looks really good. Um, but it should be interesting. I don't know. We'll either see a defensive game or we could see an offensive game. You really don't know. They both have good offenses and they have the defenses. I don't know which one will win out. I'm just hoping for a close game. I don't want to see a blowout. I don't think anybody wants to see a blowout, especially if you're not a fan of whatever team's doing the blowing out. Um, and I'm certainly not an Alabama fan and certainly not a Clemson fan, uh, but I would be a fan of, a, of an interesting close game. So hopefully we can get that. Um, and kind of wrap up this season. And next year on the uh, 2019 recap, we'll touch on that, whoever wins that championship game. Um, and we'll kind of go through some other sports. And you know, I think uh, moving on from that, uh, just on what we're going to do on the regular uh, episodes, are uh, you know, just kind of whatever whatever's interesting to me at the time. It might not even be sports. It'll kind of be like uh, the regular balls don't lie. It's just going to be my take on it. Um, I'll definitely touch on more of, you know, Kentucky, um, you know, definitely my teams. Um, so you'll get a lot of Kentucky sports and especially going through winter, it'll be Kentucky basketball. Um, if there's news on the Cubs, we'll certainly, you know, touch on that. Um, and obviously with the bears going through, you know, we, we pretty much cover the bears on the regular balls. Don't lie, but you know, I may, I may shed some, some thoughts on it, um, every once in a while. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it should be stuff like that. Maybe touch on the NBA every once in a while. And, uh, you know, I've been kind of following the Pacers a little bit here, uh, trying to adopt an NBA team. And I'm trying with the Pacers, so we'll see how that goes. Um, but I may start uh, talking about the Pacers a little bit more, too, as the season wears on. Um, certainly a fun and exciting team. So that could be that. But it's been fun doing this by myself. Uh, it's definitely different uh, not having uh, Anton in here. Um so it's exciting to do. It's fun. I'm, I'm hoping you guys enjoy it. And uh, we'll uh, keep doing it some more um, down the road. I don't know how often it'll be um, for now. But uh, we'll see you next time. So thanks for joining me. And uh, yeah, join us next time on this uh, Balls Don't Lie.